had a new pair of boots for that game. Hadn't worn them yet. And, and my parking pass is farther than that, what it should have been. Joe knows where to park. I did not. I parked dang near uh, three-quarters of a mile away. My feet were uh, in fuego uh, trying to break in these boots on the way to the fair. But it was outside of that. It was an absolute just a marvel. Welcome and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus Podcast. We're joined today with two of the most respected college athletics administrators in the nation, featuring Oklahoma's Joe Castiglione and Texas's Chris Del Conte. I'm Scott Lightman with the Fiesta Bowl, and we're here days before the annual Red River rivalry, where these two rivals will take the field in Dallas. We're here from them today, leading into the game on both football and non-football topics. Joe and Chris, thank you for joining us. This is going to be a unique conversation for us. We don't normally have two people on the line at the same time, let alone leading into such a big game this weekend. So thanks for joining us. Our pleasure. Pleasure to be with you all. So we're on the doorstep of playing one of college football's most intense rivalries uh, with the Red River rivalry. How are you two guys such good friends, despite the bitterness that your fan bases are going to have over the next week and, and frankly, all year long? Well, for me, it goes way back to when I first met Chris, actually uh, in the state of Arizona. Uh, he was working for the University of Arizona. I had met him one time. We had, our paths had crossed, but I never really had, had you know, any length of time to get to know him. And uh, you know, I did, and I think we really became fast friends and have a strong friendship that has continued since. You know, what's interesting is Joe is truly the godfather of college athletics, right? And I'll even share a funnier story. Uh, being two Italians in, in, in college athletics, very few of us that are here anyway. And at the time, I got a chance to meet Joe, and he befriended me. Um, and, and I was working for Mr. Livingood. And uh, ironically, during that time, we talked about uh, possibly coming to work for Joe at Oklahoma. I'm like, Dude, Joe, I can't be working for you. I'm working for Jim. And we had shared this conversation. We just shared this uh, immense respect for him. I knew him as a friend. He became a, a true mentor when I was looking to to become an AD. Um, Joe played an instrumental role in me getting my first AD job at Rice University. And then when I was leaving to go to TCU, he played an instrumental role in me having that opportunity to go to TCU. And then when I got to Texas, he goes, okay, all bets are off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> God, I, uh, that's it, buddy. That's it. Let's go. That's it. That's it. We we axed the friendship. No, not really. It's, uh, it's, it's over. <laughs> you it, it um to be candid, the the place where we really got a chance to know each other better was literally at the Fiesta Summit. Right there on the lawn of the Arizona Biltmore. And uh, we were surrounded by some of the king storytellers of all times, all times, that uh, a combination of football and basketball coaches. So that literally adds the connection, not to this, just this podcast, but, you know, to the bowl itself. Yeah, it was, I, it was right. It was 1999, and it was called the Frolic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, the Fiesta Bowl Frolic, 1999 is the, is, is the, is the first time I met uh, – that, that's where I, yeah, that's where I learned that Lute Olson had a nickname, and it was Frosty. <laughs> Frosty, yeah. <laughs> there was no wine drunk at the frolic. It was all business. Just let me know. 
I did not want to get what was that? What was that uh, uh, animal that you won the jackalope? You won the jackalope award. I, that, I remember one year Mike Leach won it. I'm like, what in the bejesus? Whoever could stay up the longest all night and socialize. <laughs> but the storytellers, oh. Chris. Oh my gosh! You know, Bill Moose. Bill Moose. Yeah. <laughs> Frosty. Uh, 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 Dennis, 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 yes, indeed. Yeah, uh, there were some classics. I wish the product, you know, if you look back, that was such a good time. Uh, what a great way for young people to not only get to know each other, but just fellowship. You know, we're we're going to compete on a game this weekend that we both desperately want to win, but the reality is our friendship goes 365 days a year. Every time Joe and I get done talking on the phone, we first, the last thing we say is we love each other. That's yep. pretty That's right. special. That's pretty special with a guy that you truly love somebody because they love you and they love you and we hang up the phone. So uh, this weekend is the Red River uh, uh, game. It's critically important to both of us, but when, when the game is over, we'll look each other in the eye, hug each other and say I love you, and we'll, we'll talk the next day. We probably talk, no joke, uh, five or six times a week on the phone on all kinds of subject matters. And not only did it here, I did it when I was at TCU and I was right becoming the first AD. I would always call him and say, what do you think of this? So he's been um, he's been my mentor from that point in time. And now that I'm in this seat, he reminds me that when he was coming up, DeLoss was his mentor. And uh, they had a similar relationship. So it's pretty funny how it worked. And, it, and it's uh, connected because I, I knew DeLoss far longer than I've been at Oklahoma. And this is my 23rd year. So this is my... 23rd Red River Showdown. And it, it was called something different when I got here. So it, it's evolved now to the Red River Showdown. And uh, But uh, 23rd in a row. 23rd in a row. So we, when we talk about what items you want to eat uh, at, at the fair, Joe is a legitimate connoisseur because I'm working on my second Red River Showdown, number two. So I was. Uh, so you think about it. He has 21 years ahead of me. So he's seen the culinary uh, uh, excitements that come through, the fried food that come through. We're we're going to have a corny dog eat off on Friday, just he and I at one o'clock, white tablecloth, and see who can eat the most Fletcher's corny dogs. But uh, that's all we have right now at the state fair. <laughs> in, nor- in, <laughs> in normal years, then Joe, as as the uh, the godfather of the Texas State Fair, uh, what is the the best and most unique food item you've had? We've heard about the fried Twinkies and all all the other delicacies. Okay, this one's going to really surprise you. Fried cannolis. <laughs> now, why would that be my favorite? I don't know, but no, seriously, <laughs> yeah, but. Seriously, that is my favorite, and I've tried a bunch over the years. I have a tradition. We're having to modify it a little this year because of COVID and the fact that the state fair itself uh, had to be canceled. So they're doing a small version of the state fair on the perimeter of the uh, exterior of the stadium, very small. So, But they don't have all the normal items to eat that they usually would, and I – I work on this well in advance of uh, the, the week we're there for the game, you know, so I have to follow the entries. I got to follow the finalists and figure out what is the um, winner of the new fried food of the year. 
And so I've always tried the winner. I've had everything from fried um, – now, this is going to sound funny, but I've had fried bacon. Now, fried bacon, people think, well, we fry bacon all the time. But, oh, no, you haven't had fried bacon like you get at the state fair. We've had fried Coca-Cola. We had fried Oreos. I, one year, I ate fried butter. Fried butter. I'm not. I almost didn't make it to the game on Saturday because my arteries had started blocking. You know, after eating that, but it's expanded. We have fried carrot cakes, fried cannolis. Uh, we have all kinds of barbecue. It it is literally like a nonstop. A buffet that they deliver right to your table, and that's what we always do on Friday afternoon. So this year, Chris and I had to come up with an uh, an adjusted menu, and since the menu is limited, we're we're just going to do our best to try to eat the most number of corn dogs and funnel cakes. Uh, what did I tell you? You know, think about it. What did I tell you? He is a connoisseur of the culinary division of the state of Texas Fair. Doesn't get any better than that, my man. It, 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 my my stomach. I'm not sure whether it hurts right now or my mouth is watering. Um, but uh, well, <laughs> I, I have not been to the Texas State Fair nor nor this game. So, Chris, you're the relative newcomer here. So, your first experience is probably you know very clear in your mind from a few years ago. How would you describe the Texas State Fair and the OU Texas game together? How would you describe that to me? Well, it's interesting. I have never been to the State Fair all my time in Texas. Whether when I was at Rice or TCU, the whole time I never went to the State Fair. So the first time I went to the State Fair was uh, two years ago. And uh, I remember driving up, uh, parking my car and getting out and just seeing everything that was going on. What an incredible venue. There's 200,000 people outside the fair, outside the stadium wearing burnt orange or wearing crimson uh, uh, and white. They're, walk, they're walking around. And they're talking about the about the Texas OU game and the, the pop and circumstance. It was mind-blowing. Uh, it was. It was really – we had game day was there. They had both Fox and ESPN game day was there. It was just a magical moment. And I bought a brand-new pair of boots for that game. I hadn't worn them yet. And, I, and I, my parking pass is farther than that, what it should have been. Joe knows where to park. I did not. And I parked dang near uh, three-quarters of a mile away. My feet were uh, in fuego. Uh, trying to break in these boots on the way to the fair, but it was outside of that. It was an absolute just a marvel. Then you go into the game and the pomp and circumstance. I don't think you really know what that game really is until you go there and see it. And it's just a, it's an amazing uh, tribute to college athletics and it's an amazing tribute to the University of Texas, the University of Oklahoma, and, and our two states on great tradition as we've been playing that game. I think the last time. University of Oklahoma has been on in Austin soil was 1922, and the last time the University of Texas has been in, in Sooner soil was 1923. Uh, it's, but I know it's been 100. We're coming on 100 years since the last time we played in each other's stadium. So think about 100 years playing in that game in Dallas. It's it's awesome. Great rivalries everywhere, and and a lot of different sports, but this one is completely unique and uh, unlike anything anybody's ever experienced. So a lot of times when you have these big games, you know, mayors of cities or whatnot will have bets between the two of them with the, the local delicacy, delicacy going to the, to the other one if, if they lose. 
Do you guys have anything special like that? Any friendly wagers or practical jokes you play on each other? Or do you even see each other, you know, in in the Cotton Bowl on game day? Oh yeah, before the game, and, yeah. and uh, occasionally after. It's it, it's always chaotic after the game, um, but certainly before the game, absolutely. And uh, we talk obviously all the way up to the game itself, even before the game, the day of the game. Well, you know. I mean, we'll, we'll meet usually on Friday. There's a, there's a, there's a, a function that both schools go to. It's just really the pomp and circumstance is second to none. Pete Schinkel is just a wonderful host. He is Mr. Mr. Cotton Bowl, and he's such a genuine, great man. Um, um, so it, it, it's just such an interesting time. But, you know, right before the game starts, Joe looks over at me like, like, like Jerry Seinfeld. See you later, Newman. I look over to him and say, bye, Newman. Bye, Joe. <laughs> And we don't talk for like four hours, like mortal enemy. And then right when the game's over, how you doing, my man? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, way to invoke Seinfeld. I love that, Chris. Nice job. That's, that's good. Hey, we, we talked a lot about food. And, uh, and you brought up that you're both Italian. So I, I like Italian food. Whose house am I going to for dinner for a, for a good Italian meal between the two of you and your families? And, and what's on the menu? Depends, right? Depends. My mom can 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 make it now. Can can get after it. My bride, she hasn't quite got to my mom yet on the Italian side of the cooking. But uh, if it just lets it up to Joe and me in a combination meal, we'll knock it out of the park for you. Oh yeah, you you just uh, you don't get to, the stuff that we would bring would not be on a normal menu. My favorite my favorite Italian meals actually came on Christmas Eve. I never understood that growing up, how my family could make such a spread of food on the night we went to midnight mass. And we come back and Every time. eat after after midnight mass a, a feast. And I, I ne- I'd never see that kind of food at any other time of year that you'd see on uh, a Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. So... That's what's in my mind of the best Italian food. And there's stuff that uh, we'd have to – I can't – I'll tell you, it's so good that I can't buy it anywhere in Oklahoma, that's for sure. <laughs> At least not anywhere I know of. I, I do have some very specific grocery stores that I know around the United States that I'd go to to get it, though. However, I, 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 we, can, we can figure that out very easily. Hey, uh... <laughs> Chris, you have Matthew McConaughey uh, in your stable, and I saw last week you guys put the cutouts of all his different movies in a, in a section at DKR. And, and Joe, I think Toby Keith, maybe he's your most famous fan for Oklahoma football. So I guess my first question is, are we going to see cutouts of them at the Cotton Bowl this weekend? And secondly, can each of you share a funny story or two uh, about each of them with your football programs? Go ahead, Joe. With Toby? You know, a funny story. God, there's so many. Um, uh, really, I think the most, oh, there's so many great memories. I don't know if I could call one the favorite over the other, but I thought the greatest one, just the way it worked out, uh, we're playing in the national championship game. This is back in the BCS era. We're playing Florida state in the orange bowl. And, uh, they they had somebody uh, 
scheduled to come in and sing the national anthem. And I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but some famous recording star they had lined up. And whoever it was bailed. And coincidentally, before either of the two teams to play in that game were known, they had made uh, an arrangement to replace whoever that was with Toby Keith. So, um, you know, after we, you know, learned by the computer rankings that we're uh, number one in the country and we're going to the Orange Bowl, I met Toby and gotten to know him a little bit um, before then. And so uh, I was talking to him and he, uh, I said, are you going to the Orange Bowl? He said, yeah. I said, well, great. Do you need tickets? He said, no, they've got me covered. And I said, what do you mean? They have you covered, and they said, "Well, they uh, they already made an arrangement for me to sing the national anthem." And I started laughing. I said, "Okay, boys, they're starting to line up pretty good." <laughs> so, um, so he sang the national anthem that year. That particular year, he had the, a new hit that had just absolutely been skyrocketing to number one, and it was. The title of the song was How Do You Like Me Now? And it just coincidentally hit that year. So that became our song after we won the national championship beating Florida State um, because there had been so many people that had doubted us, had, you know, just downplayed us, had, you know, bad mouthed us. Really, a lot that said, you know, we shouldn't have even been there. And uh, we we beat a great Florida State team, great coach, Bobby Bowden, and uh, won a national championship in that song. Every time I hear it, I think of 2000 team and the 2001 uh, Orange Bowl, which was the site of the national championship won by the University of Oklahoma. How do you like me now? Thanks, Toby. Now, I thought you were going to say it was Red Solo Cup, so I understand the concept there, Joe. Well, that came later. I mean, that, I said there are a lot of favorite memories, but I, I had to go with the, I had to go with that one. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny that uh, there's two real quick. One, when I first got here, we're, we're building a brand new basketball arena, and we were interviewing um, the developers on the arena. And as we came in, partners for us to partner with on, on, on building
mean, right there, coming in hot. Flying his plane from London to, to, to New Orleans. They go, okay, where do you meet? Now, I don't know anywhere around the, 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 uh, the Superdome. Just meet me outside by the, by the bus entrance. I'll get you some, I'll get a pass for you. So I finally collect the pass. I start to walk outside. And there he is arguing with the, with the game management people. Dude, you know who I am. This, this my face is a sideline pass, dude. Just let me pass in. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, MOC, here's your pass. You knucklehead, get inside. <laughs> you know, and both both of them are. They're, they're still, and I and I had a chance to. Uh, Joe was introducing to Toby Keith, and we went on a trip together. Both of those human beings are such down to earth, great men. Both love their schools immensely. But they're just great people. I, I, I just adore Toby Keith and I adore uh, Matthew, not because of stardom, just because who they are as individuals. They're awesome. And they're great representatives of both institutions. Well said. Well said, CDC. And by the way, they're both really good friends. Uh, yes, yeah, coincidentally. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to get Toby into that three piece suit. I'd get a crimson one, obviously, then a burnt orange, but I, I got to get him in a three-piece like like Matthew does. Well, if, if, well, when Matthew shows up on the bench wearing a three-piece who walks into the huddle, like he thinks he's one of the coaches in basketball, and Sokka looks at him like, hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> the guy's just nuts. He shows up on the bench, we're playing all you, and he's in the, in the huddle giving him the business. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, he did play. Sit down. He did play a coach in a movie. I mean, he played We Are Marshall. He was Jack Lengel, so maybe he he's transferred that and thinks he uh, he can take the sidelines, huh? So I hate to transition away from these topics into to your roles as ads, um, but. You know, when you look, Chris, when you first started back here in Arizona, uh, well, you didn't first start, but you were back here in Arizona um, as an associate athletic director, and, and Joe, you were at Missouri. Kind of take us through then and now. What, what's the biggest change in, in college athletics from, from those days and, and maybe what you guys see as the biggest priorities as the leader of your respective athletics departments? Well, you know, when I was at the University of Arizona, I just had the great fortune of working for Mr. Livengood, who is, uh, gave, gave me my start uh, in, in this business. I, was, I worked in the maintenance department at Washington State, uh, and he got me a job, and then got me a job at Cal Poly, and he's, I just love the, the human being. Him and Linda are great. They are godfather to my children, and he's just a, a special person to me, and he got me a chance to go to Arizona, which was great. Um, I got to learn and watch from him, and he introduced me to, to Joe, and that's become a lifelong friendship, and Joe and Jim are great friends, but you really don't have an appreciation of the chair until you sit in it, and it's hard to explain because you can be around in every single decision, and you think you have a grasp of what is taking place until you actually sit in it, and, and this is why when I was growing up and trying to meet people, uh, getting a chance to meet Joe and who Joe was in our industry and uh, what he uh, and he was a giant in the industry early on in his career um, and, and he's just continued to uh, uh, rise in, in, in that front so getting a chance to go but you don't really know what the chair is like and I remember when I went to Rice I tell everybody the three moves between Rice, TCU and, and, and Texas I'm very very fortunate that Joe used to work at Rice and got me the AD job there but that's like the movie Hickory. There's three 
3,000 students, there's 25,000 living alumni. And, you know, there's, they're very passionate, but it is what it is. And you're running an enterprise based on people's passion. But that, that job got me a lot. The chair allowed me to make mistakes and realize that there's no one to blame but you now. Everything stops on your desk. And Rice was perfect for me because then there I got to go to TCU, which is now like sectionals in the movie Hoosiers. There's, it's 8,000 students, 50,000 living alumni. And right then, the difference in that move was social media hit. The Internet, the, the, uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, social media hit in that move. And it was just a, a crazy time because there used to be times where you could have a chance to react and get your thoughts. It was immediate. But I was thankful for the Rice job because you get to TCU, now you're at sectionals, and then all of a sudden you go to Texas. And it's 52,000 students, 500,000 living alumni, and you walk into Hinkle Field House and you're like, oh, my God, look how big this is. But it reminds you it's still a 10-foot rim, a 15-foot free throw, and a 94-foot court. It's just bigger, and things come at you so fast that, uh, that you constantly react. You don't have, sometimes you don't have the time to just take a breath and say, let me think about this, because the reaction time of what social media has done to our industry is changing so quickly. So those three... Those three moves, I've just been able to watch and see how outside, outside influences have created such a different time in our culture that we weren't used to uh, when I first got in business. So I'm very thankful for the journey, but uh, when I was working for Mr. Livingood, something can happen on a, on a Tuesday, and you can wait till the following Wednesday before you address it. <laughs> you know, I won't let that simmer. That doesn't happen today. <laughs> uh. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to come at it from a little different angle. Um, yes, I, my uh, career journey uh, really started at Maryland when I was a student because I was working 50-plus uh, hours a week as a full-time student at Maryland, and I was on the um, I was on the free speech tour. You know, so they they said, uh, you know. Work as long as you want, and it'll be free. <laughs> free, free. You got the freedom to work, and, and the the pay uh, will will be equal. <laughs> so, I really put all the uh, onus in uh, just in getting experience, which I did a lot of it, and probably what set me up to be offered and then accept a full time job before I even had graduated from uh, Maryland and. So after graduation, I started at Rice, and I was there for about uh, you know 15, 18 months, and went to Georgetown, uh, and there for a year before going on to Missouri, um, and spent 17 years at Missouri. The last five as athletic director before coming to Oklahoma, and as I mentioned earlier, it's my 23rd year. And uh, you know, I I do remember part of that journey of. Um, trying to figure out how to get the next experience, how to make myself more prepared to take on more and more responsibility. And it was what's next and when and how. And then along the way, uh, you know, not too long down the journey, uh, I realized that all those parts are important, but not as important as the why, the why of what we do and who are we serving the most. And um, got back to the whole purpose why I even 
decided to get into college athletics, I had the choice to get in through coaching or the business side. And I chose the business side because of my experiences at Maryland. Um, they were unique. And I thought, well, you know, I might be able to get on a ground floor of something that was just starting in college athletics, and that was sports marketing. I know that sounds like it was, you know, 100 years ago, and, and it, it wasn't 100, but it was quite a while ago. And, uh, you know, there wasn't any, you know, anyone really doing sports marketing on college campuses except for a couple of places, and Rice bought what I was trying to sell back then. They were starting to see it happen in the Southwest Conference because uh, of the guy I had actually worked for um, uh, before he went to SMU. And, um, wait, wait, so, what's that? Tell him, tell him what, your, uh, what, was your, what was your marketing slogan at Rice? Give a hoot, because nobody <laughs> ever did. <laughs> Give a hoot, baby. Give a hoot. Give a hoot. No, I... Uh, we again, we don't have enough time to to tell all the antics that I pulled off, you know, in um, in uh, my first job at Rice. You know, they uh, literally put me over in this room. If people don't know that Rice once hosted a Super Bowl between the Miami Dolphins and the Minnesota Vikings, and they had a great stadium, seats about seventy six thousand, um, and they had built this sort of uh, stadium club in this, one of the end zones. And when they hired me, they said, well, we've got an office for you over there in the this room at the, the stadium club. And I, so I went over there to look for it. I said, well, there aren't, aren't any offices. And they said, oh, no, we're going to clean out this broom closet here for you. And, and it's just big enough to fit a small desk in there. And they ran a phone line, and that was my office. It was originally and probably still is a broom closet, but that's where I worked out of. And I, because I was over there by myself, I was free to run. And my boss uh, gave me just total um, authority to just be, you know, let my ideas flow. And boy, sir, I sure did. But uh, it was a great experience. And um, but I've, I've learned, you know, more about why we're doing what we're doing. You know, there's business around it. There's compliance and legal. There's obviously facilities and, you know, all the kinds of things you do that are operational, but um, it's the why and the people you serve. And it starts first with the student athletes, uh, because without them, you don't have a job. And then it's about the coaches that you hire and equip to serve the student athletes, because they are the ones that are mentoring them, finding them identifying them, putting them in the right kind of place in a system, mentoring them to be the best they can be and to try and, you know, learn more um, than, than they ever thought about themselves so they're ready for life beyond. And that's, that's it. When I figured that out, every part of my career changed and, uh, and it gave me a better trajectory to becoming an athletic director. And in today's world, people say, well, what's your, what's your uh, leadership style? And um, I say I've learned that leadership isn't one style. It's a lifestyle because, as Chris mentioned, you know, our jobs are 24-7. We know that. We embrace it. We accept it. And that's just the way it is. Um, And I feel like, you know, an athletic director is, if you can use a lot of metaphors, but it's almost like a clock. You know, you're 
you're in the middle. You're controlling the hands. You know, it may, one, the small hand is on a number and another, the bigger hand is on another number, and you're moving because you have to lead above, you know, 45 degrees at 90 degrees, and then you have to you have to make it all work and circle back around the entire mission of the institution. And so uh, you, you've got to lead up to the side, below, and help other people to do the same. And that, that's what you do. You facilitate. You're, you're just trying to and put the people in the best positions to be successful. Yeah, no doubt, Joe. And I think one of the things we're doing is we're running enterprise based on people's passion. And rational people lose all, have all, all rational behavior when it comes to passion. And whether it be a student athlete, whether it be a coach, whether it be a donor, uh, um, alumni, you know, politicians, when it's their institution, they're super passionate about it. And I tell everyone, I have half the time I have all the authority and no power. Um, because you have so many influences coming at you in different directions. What you try to do is, you know, for me, I'm always being humble, I'm honest, try to communicate and say, okay, here's the issues. And the main thing being the main thing is our student athletes and what we're doing for them, the opportunity to provide them, and, and also realizing that we have donors and we have uh, um, passionate people about the success of our programs and what we're trying to do, but then they, they're there to help and, and support their great institution. So it's a, it's a, it's a definitely you're you're a servant leader on everything that you do, and it's it's a situation leadership constantly dictates that. But when uh, Joe came up with the Give a Hoop campaign, the University of Houston came up with five slamma jammas. I just want to let you know that the Give a Hoop campaign was significantly better than five slamma jamma because Joe's now at Oklahoma. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just to let you know that that, that that campaign to give a who launched him on this phenomenal career, and whoever who came up with five slam pajama is still wondering what happened to themselves. Just letting you know. So give a hoot with it. Oh, <laughs> well, I tried to get them to do something because there, there was. Whew, I mean, the the Rice TCU game. Uh, they wouldn't need any social distancing measures for that. There weren't enough people to worry about it. Well, yeah, back in the day, how, how quickly unfortunately changed, but, uh, you know, you can look at that and say, and everything is secular, right? I mean, at one point in time, yep. uh, uh, it's just a funny, college sports is funny. So we are, you know, the Fiesta Bowl football-focused podcast, so we should probably close out with a few questions uh, about the bowls here. Um, from, from your perspective, why is the Fiesta Bowl and the overall bowl experience so important for the student-athletes and really the schools overall, you know, compared to just a, a regular season or a conference championship game, since they are so different? Well, both of us have had a chance to um, be part of the Fiesta Bowl or either, either one of the bowls, actually, that the Fiesta Bowl um, operates, manages. And so, you know, I go back many years um, being associated with a team that, has had the experience. And so firsthand, uh, as an athletic director, I've actually seen uh, the priorities of the Fiesta Bowl and how they do focus at first on the experience for the teams because they are the reason we have a bowl game. They are the reason why the schools are being represented. And um, even as we've moved through a variety of different postseason models from the BCS to uh, the college football playoff approach, um, you know, the Fiesta Bowl has shown its own ability to adjust and evolve with the times. 
and I think that's why it continues to be, you know, a uh, you know a, a destination that people always desire and have a great deal of excitement if they get the chance to play in the game. Oh, I, and I think uh, you know, echo everything that Joe said in the festival specifically. It was such a a great ball for just you get a chance to come to, to Phoenix, great city, um, and the hospitality and the treatment and the excitement that student athletes get for that six seven days that they're there is second to none. And uh, the city does an amazing job. Um, the game itself is fantastic. Um, we came out of the short end of the stick when I was there on, on both games that I participated in the Cactus Classic or in the uh, or in the uh, um, on the festival itself. But leading up to the game, everything about it was phenomenal. And you know, the bowl games have been part of college athletics and the culture of college athletics for such a long, long time that uh, keeping that tradition going and having a chance for for our student athletes and fans and donors to. Uh, have a chance to celebrate a special season and get a chance to go to uh, Phoenix is, a, is an incredible opportunity. I'll say this too, um, that uh, I think needs to be said. Just like we were trying to uh, appropriately provide praise for our student athletes, the way they handled the pandemic and the way they've managed to get themselves in, in a position, you know, to have a chance to play to the coaches that, um, led and mentored them to the staff that showed great skill. I can tell you firsthand that I've seen an amazing work, not just by the administrative staff, but at Fiesta Bowl over the years. And, you know, those changed, you know, as, as time has gone on, but the volunteers, oh my gosh, <laughs> they have always been amazing. And I think truly one of the great assets of the bowl game is, and that goes back to the way the, you know, the, the administration of the bowl itself cultivates the volunteers, but the leaders in the community um, that are part of the, the bowl committee, the, the, the bowl executive committee, the leadership of the bowl, um, many of them are still very close friends today, and I stay in touch with them today. And, and some of them I met probably close to 20 years ago now. Uh, no, more than 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, it's it it's this the Fiesta Bowl is a huge part of college football and when you're part of the Fiesta Bowl, they make it really feel like you're a big part of college football. And um I think the uh you know, the synergy there is just something that you never forget. Thanks for sharing that, Joe. It's it's uh it's certainly something we take pride in and, and the hospitality is is we like to be called the hospitality bowl for, for what we do. So thank you both for sharing um, those, those sentiments. So the last question is something we ask of all of our guests. Um, and it is, please share with us your favorite Fiesta Bowl in history. We're approaching our 50th anniversary. And so we've had 49 classic games. Um, and, and it could be the one you were involved in. Uh, it could be another one you witnessed as a, as a college football fan. And, and Joe, it's funny, we get a lot of a lot of comments about one of the games that you're very familiar with that you probably is not your favorite Fiesta Bowl in history. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but um, if you knew the path that we traveled to get to that game, and uh, and you know, people wouldn't have given us uh, much chance during the middle of the season that we'd ever 
been able to be in the game, but you know we won the conference and and were able to get to the bowl game, and um, and then you know early on you know our our best player wasn't playing, and then he got in the game and it was a ferocious comeback and took the lead to uh, only to fall at the end to some incredible trickery <laughs> but credit to them that that uh that was tough but um that uh you know i i think back to uh you know so many of them uh again just being in the game was very very special actually uh the game i remember was the beginning of the you know the idea behind the bcs and that's when florida played Nebraska. I happened to be at the game. It was at Sun Devil Stadium. Um, and uh, Nebraska ended up beating Florida by a wide, wide margin. I, I It seems like they scored 50 points or 60 points on them that night. It just was incredible. Um, Tommy Frazier at quarterback. Um, you know, Nebraska goes on and wins the national championship. Little did, did I know that um, it would lead to Florida hiring this young whippersnapper coach um, who was a defensive coordinator at Kansas State. And uh, he goes to become the defensive coordinator at Florida. They go on to um, uh, win a national championship in a rematch against Florida State. And in uh, the fall of 1998, um, we asked this young defensive coordinator to become our head coach, and he was our head coach, Hall of Fame head coach, um, and a greater person for 18 years, and his name is Bob Stoops, and so I think about the chain of events that happened after that game, and the way my life, you know, changed, I wasn't at Oklahoma at the time until the summer of 98, so about four to five months before hired Bob Stoops. But uh, for 18 years, got a chance to work with Bob, and uh, he's still in our community, still vibrant, still doing great. He's he's a Hall of Famer um, and uh, still very much a part of our program. And now his son is uh, one of our players and doing very, very well for us. So I think about that memory and, and what it led to later on, even though I didn't know it at the time. All comes back to the Fiesta Bowl. You know, I think my probably my fondest moment, and I mean, obviously everyone's going to remember the uh, the OU uh, um, Boise State game just because of the magnitude of that game. I was, and for me, it's the TCU Boise State game. Uh, just being in that time, this was 09. Um, there was all this talk about the little guy uh, and, and the up and comers in the decade uh, of, uh, of the early 2000s was really the rise of TCU and the rise of Boise with great aspirations. Uh, uh, Alabama the year before had, had, I mean, had lost to Utah in the Sugar Bowl, and I remember TCU had this run. I was I, I was at Rice, I was 0 and 6 at Rice, and I became the AD at TCU, and they were 6 and 0. And we had a chance to uh, to uh, we had this magical run at the end of the year. We had a, we had we had an opportunity to go to the Fiesta Bowl or, or possibly the Orange Bowl, and Coach Patterson said I want to go to the Fiesta Bowl, and we got a chance to go to the Fiesta Bowl. And important, the game was a repeat of the year before we had beaten Boise State in the Poinsettia Bowl and play that game at that stage and, and to see the fan base come to Phoenix and what an unbelievable time to be involved. And um, arguably, you know, there's 
four or five bowl games in the country, whether Fiesta Bowl, Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, that you want to be a part of. And we got a chance to be a part of that game, which launched TCU. We lost the game, but launched us into the fall year going and beating um, uh, 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 Wisconsin in the, in the Rose Bowl. And it gave us the impetus that when conference alignment was moving, TCU was in a position to, to, get, to, to be looked at um, uh, favorably by the Big 12. And no thanks to, I mean, all the thanks to Joe and DeLoss for giving TCU that opportunity. But it really started the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, making it to that game, giving them the, uh, even though we didn't win the game, gave the energy to come back and have a great season the following year. But everything surrounding the Fiesta Bowl that year was like, gosh dang it, we're here. Uh, and let's, and let's, let's continue this ride. So uh, it was fantastic. From that game, TCU was able to raise a significant amount of money for a brand-new stadium, and the trajectory of that program has, has never been the same since the bowl game of the Fiesta Bowl. So if you'd like to invite Texas right now, we'd, reg- we'd gladly take it, and we're ready to roll, okay? It's been a while, and so I think we would welcome yeah, Texas. take it right now. Texas it's 2-1. and one. We'll take the bid right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, both of you gentlemen have been very kind with your time today. We very much appreciate you uh, spending some time in the great stories, uh, football and non-football, with us here today on the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus Podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, You'd be great. Uh, Newman, I'll see you on Friday. Hey, I will be there ready to down as many corn dogs as my body will handle. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank All you right. thank you so much. Have fun in Dallas this weekend, and, and we'd love to have either one of your teams uh, here at the Fiesta Bowl, so no doubt about that. All right. Thank you, Scott. Take care, guys. Great to be with Bye-bye. you. Likewise.